In every man's life, there's always one woman he never forgets. The woman I could never forget was La Contessa. This is the story of our love. I don't really know what prompted me to go to a nude beach that day. Perhaps I couldn't figure out what to wear. Or maybe I just wanted to hang out for a while. I remember bringing a ruler with me, and sometimes I wonder about myself. The beach was quite crowded and very picturesque. A girl breastfeeding her boyfriend, women watching naked young men playing volleyball, and not once seeing the ball. Girls trying to get their asses tanned, which to me is pointless. The only chance for a compliment is to have sex doggy style. By the way, I've learned in Canada, they only have sex doggy style. That way they can both watch the hockey game. Yes, great sex means different things to different people. Great sex to me is when I'm the only one able to talk. Since time began, people have had strange sexual preferences. The best example is King Richard. My kingdom for a horse. Suddenly there she was. Was it really her? La Contessa? Yes, it was. She was involved building a sandcastle by the water and didn't notice me. But everyone on the beach noticed her and kept staring at her large backside, propped up as she bent over building her castle. I knew it was definitely her with a tattoo in her inner thigh that said merging traffic. La Contessa was a wild woman. When she said I'll be home after five, she wasn't talking about time. Sometimes for hours, she would do push-ups in her cucumber garden. Although La Contessa did have a tender side, she wouldn't hurt a fly, unless it was open. She then decided to go for a swim. As I watched her swim, I recalled our first meeting. It was in my youth in Spain. I worked part-time as a matador to supplement my income when I was struggling to become a singing waiter. I did earn some money with my voice. I would sometimes sing the national anthem at cockfights, unless I was participating. While in Spain, I had a brief affair with an actress who was filming in Madrid. She told me she never wanted a man the way she wanted me, and we should marry. I told her, let us just enjoy each other, and that I would only stay with her until the shoot was over. When I was very young, I knew I was built extra large. At 16, I entered a three-legged race by myself. All my life, I had the same sexual problem. I couldn't get it down. It also had many disadvantages, my entire life being envied by black men. Yes, many disadvantages. When I was injured, a doctor told me not to lift anything over 10 pounds. It was embarrassing, asking someone to help me when I had to urinate. Due to my rare physical attribute, I always had women at my feet, which is usually where they started. Except one, she rejected my advances. I remember asking her, are you in love? She told me she was in like, so I told her to call me when she was in lick. The next time I met La Contessa, I had come close to death as I fought the bull. I had no idea she was in the arena tortured, worrying for my safety and yearning for me. At the time, La Contessa was being courted by Count Rinaldi. Their families had arranged a marriage. As she watched me, she lost control and completely disregarded the Count's feelings when I finally killed the bull. 
She ran out in the field yelling passionately, I want you, I want you. She then followed me to my dressing room. As I was undressing, she looked faint, so I gave her mouth-to-breast resuscitation. She responded by licking my sword clean. Then she told me she felt uncomfortable, so I told all of my guests to leave. They were all very unhappy, especially the two who were about to ejaculate. That day, nothing could stop us. We flew to Shanghai to get away from it all. In the plane, we couldn't keep our hands off each other. Everyone remarked they never saw people act so low class and first class. The flight was full of turbulence caused by La Contessa and myself. The burning passion between us affected everything. The no smoking sign was smoking. The stewardess came out frantic. She said, we're going down. The plane is going down. She told us to assume the crash position and put our heads between our legs. I removed La Contessa's head and obeyed the stewardess. We were fortunate the plane leveled off. In Shanghai, we went to my favorite Chinese restaurant, The Dragon. The owner, Fang Chu, also known as Fang Chu Mi, a name given to him by his first wife, was an unusual man in many ways. His family were the first to play handball at the Great Wall. He believed in satisfying his customers. If you ordered a special dinner, he gave you one of his daughters to take out. He was also a passionate man. He had one dragon on his chest and one dragon on the ground. At last we relaxed. As we sat at the table, I kept fondling her fortune cookie as she devoured my egg roll. You've all heard the expression, she could eat you under the table, but to experience it. I then took her to a motel, the Shanghai Inn. When I got undressed, it was obvious I was very excited. Just then I thought of the Count and felt guilty. I couldn't go on. I sat down in a bed with my excitement and read the entire Bible as La Contessa relieved me of my guilt four times. However, she was still committed to marry the Count. Oh, enough of the past. La Contessa's swim was over. As she walked out of the water, I purposely stood in her path. When she saw me, I knew her love was still burning. I watched her eyes as they surveyed my body, always pausing at a certain height, expelling lust. She came close and reached for my hand. She had a very poor sense of direction, and people watching were aghast. She told me she had nothing planned that evening, and being an accomplished pianist, she would probably be alone with her piano. I told her I had no plans. I would be alone with my upright organ. She gave me the key to her home and begged me to be there at 8 o'clock. I told her I'd try, and if I was late, to start by herself. The timing was perfect. It was not my bowling night. I went home and tried to forget her by playing with my schnauzer. The next thing I knew, I was taking a bath with my schnauzer. Yes, sometimes I wonder about myself. Time was clicking away. 5.30, 6.30, 7.30, I was torn. Should I put her out of my mind or on the floor? The tension was mounting. Suddenly mounting became my favorite word. I couldn't fight it any longer. My desire was greater than my willpower. There I was knocking at her door. She had no idea what I was knocking with. We then sat on her patio and she surprised me by doing 50 laps. Then she decided to jump in the pool. She was an excellent swimmer. She explained that when her family forced her to marry the Count, 
She got even with them by working for two years as a call girl in Venice. She told me the bad experience she had when the boatman was drinking and jammed his gondola into her. I sat there thinking what I've been missing for 20 years, the tenderness, the caring, the whips, the toy soldiers. When she got out of the pool, we were frantic. I grabbed a leg, she grabbed a leg. We ate the whole chicken. La Contessa reminded me that Amanda was born because we ate chicken. Yes, it was finger licking good, and one thing led to another. With sex, La Contessa was very generous. She always gave her partner a head start. La Contessa kept me on my toes, and I loved the new position. Suddenly, I saw a flash. A neighbor was taking pictures of us, so we decided to relax in front of her fireplace. It was there that she told me of her physical problem. One night, she had a scotch on the rocks, and her back has never been the same. Other than that, since her marriage, she's only cheated twice on the count. Once with a young Mexican boy. She said it lasted only two months while his visa was extended. The other time was one night when she had an affair with the San Francisco Giants, which she said was an accurate name for all of them. She told me how unhappy she was with the count. He was an insensitive brute, and now meeting me again makes it so much more difficult to go back to him. She was still involved with the Audubon Society, keeping the bird she loved most in her home. I was very distressed in a moment of lust when instead of me, she grabbed her cockatoo. Occasionally, she would fool her cockatoo, offering it food and taking it away. Then I realized she was a cockatoo teaser. Knowing La Contessa so intimately, I was surprised her favorite bird was a cockatoo. I always thought it would be the swallow. Then she told me to just sit back and relax, and she would give me all the respect I never got. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door. Who could it be? She looked through the curtain. It was her son, Amando. She brought him in and introduced me as an old friend of the family. I was stunned at how much he looked like me. Yes, it was our son. I was doubly stunned when I saw he was gay. I found myself in shock when I realized he wanted me. What was I to do? Again, I was torn. Would it be fair to La Contessa to make love to our son? And yet, would it be fair to my son to deny him his father? Armando told me he had just returned from touring South America, enjoying mostly the Straits of Magellan and the Straits of Roberto. This disturbed me. Was I unhappy my son was gay, or was I jealous of Roberto? He told me while in South America he had a very ill experience. While crossing the street, he got arrested for gay walking. And all the time he spent in the penitentiary, locked in a cell with those four brutes, he said it was a very penetrating experience. No matter how many times he tried to be nice, it would always backfire. He told me when he got out of prison, he felt like a new woman. The only thing that was enjoyable to him was his trial. He said they were a very well-hung jury. He also enjoyed meeting the prison dentist. He told Amando to open wide. Amando suggested they have a drink first. He told me he still sees the dentist to have his teeth cleaned and an occasional drilling. He told me he's also suing the prison doctor. He told Armando to stick his tongue out and say yes. La Contessa told me that Armando's problems had started when he was very young. She recalled the day the Count told him all about the birds and the bees. 
and Amanda went out and knocked up a sparrow. She told me as a youngster, Amando always had sexual problems. In high school, he was voted most likely to masturbate. Amando also told me a bit about his childhood. When he was 16, he ran away from home. In his desperate need for money, he told me he resorted to pumping gas and widowers. He told me he was fired for many jobs. When he worked as a chef, every time he made French toast, he got his tongue caught in a toaster. Years later, he tried selling insurance for Allstate, but failed. They fired him when they found out what he wanted to put in his hands. He told me how difficult it was for him coming from royalty, and again I was torn. Should I keep him thinking he's royalty, the son of Count Rinaldi, or should I tell him the truth? He's a bastard. Armando told me he was bored. He wanted to start a new life. I told him, the way you make love, it's impossible. He told me he'd be happy if only he could meet the right couple. Armando then persuaded me to run away with him. When we arrived in Brazil, I told him I'd love a cocktail. So he told me one and tried to reenact it. I thought how lucky I am, spending such quality time with my son. He took me to an all-gay bar. It was ridiculous. There were 15 guys for every guy. After one drink, we went to his place. As we entered his apartment, he reached for his robe and told me how unhappy he was with his present lover and how he wanted to slip into someone more comfortable. He expressed how much he was looking forward to Christmas. Christmas, he would hang mistletoe from his belt buckle and hang around with midgets. He then read me some poetry and told me about some of his friends he had helped by straightening out their Longfellow. He then took my hand and asked me if he could help me. Again, I was torn. I didn't know whether to turn him down or turn him over. Then I realized I needed help. The situation was too much for me. I decided to join fathers whose gay sons want them anonymous. I said goodbye to my son and went to my farm in Vermont to relax, get out of the fast lane, and enjoy nature. It was not easy for me to change my lifestyle. My first day there, I took a walk and met a hooker by the brook. I'd never been with the hooker before. However, she was so desirable, and my need to forget La Contessa was so great, I decided to break precedent. I was curious as to how she became a hooker. She told me she got the idea when she was very young, when someone offered her a penny for her thoughts. She told me she looked up her family tree and all of the women were prostitutes. In fact, her great-great-great-grandmother charged the light brigade. To me, a hooker was always like a combination lock. If you hit the right numbers, she'll open up. Suddenly, she looked so lovely to me, lying there under a pear tree next to my oak. I grabbed her and kissed her. I told her, when I kiss you, it's like a breath from the Orient. She said it should be. I just blew a Chinaman. I decided to continue our meeting at my place. I wanted her, and I didn't want any vague dates. I learned years ago that time and tide and hookers wait for no man. When we arrived at my place, we had sex immediately, and she confessed her love for me. She said she must have me and always be with me. I told her, there's so much more I want to know about you. She said, like what? I said, your name. She told me her name was Valerie Dubois, and to call her VD for short. She told me Halloween was coming up. She would go door to door, trick or trick. After Halloween, she gave me all her money. In appreciation, I gave her an expensive virgin wool sweater, but her body rejected it. 
Then I realized I was still longing for La Contessa. The problem was how to contact her without the Count knowing it. The answer came to me. I'll call Armando at his home in San Francisco. He told me he expected La Contessa to visit next week. I told him I'd be in the area and may drop in and say hello. When I arrived, I called Armando and La Contessa picked up the phone. She was there. I didn't speak a word and hung up. The thought of seeing La Contessa again made me nervous. I went to a bar for some drinks. Sitting next to me was a young woman who was obviously pregnant and drinking heavily. She told me she was drinking because she was trying to forget. I told her you must have a hell of a memory. She said she was upset because she had a fight with her boyfriend. I advised her the next time you fight, tell your boyfriend he should knock you down. She then expressed her desire for me and wanted us to go up to her room. I told her, three's a crowd. I then dashed off to see La Contessa. When I arrived, to my surprise, a voluptuous young lady opened the door. It was Ophelia, La Contessa's niece. As I entered the door, I could see La Contessa's face drop. It made me unhappy, because I knew she had just spent a fortune having it lifted. La Contessa was furious. She was cold to me, and said it was stupid for me to come to San Francisco. What if Ophelia told the Count of our meeting? La Contessa was angry. She told me she wanted to be alone with her son and left the house, leaving me alone with Ophelia. Ophelia told me her ambition was to be a head nurse, and she was doing everything she could to earn the title. She also told me she loves children. She'd been raising dicks since she's 16. She also told me she picks up extra money by selling space. I found out it was between her legs. Ophelia then sat there for an hour, eating a banana and never finishing it. Then she let me know she was ready. She got completely naked, except for her knee pads. I told her I would let her make love to me under one condition, that she would never tell the Count she saw me in San Francisco. She promised. As I took off my trousers, I warned her. I said, I hope you're not afraid of height. Then she insisted I use something. I said, how about a cucumber? I then decided just to lie back and let her do what she desperately wanted to do while I watched Felix the Cat, one of the many cartoons that turned me on. When it was over, she felt guilty. I told her, don't be foolish, you're young. You'll improve. When La Contessa came home that evening, she was alone. She told me Amanda went to see an uprising in a friend's apartment. Then they were going to watch their favorite movie star, Will Rogers, in an old movie. She told me Armando loved Will Rogers. He was the first one to come out of the closet. He told everyone, I never met a man I didn't like. I told La Contessa of my affair with Ophelia, and she was relieved to know the Count would never know of our meeting. She told me she won't be seeing Armando for a while. He will be in Italy for two weeks doing charity work, raising teenage boys. Then he'll be cruising the Mediterranean, hoping to end up in Greece. La Contessa told me Armando loved Greece. The last time he was there, it was very profitable. While attending a rich party, he bent down to tie his shoelaces and made $10,000. La Contessa told me she will be visiting her Aunt Wilma in Holland, who's recuperating. For six hours, her finger was stuck in a dike. Then she'll be off to Switzerland on holiday. I told her I'd also be in Switzerland, but just for one day to get my watch fixed. She reminded me of the Count's temper 
and what he would do if he found us together. The last time he sought revenge, he followed the man all over the world and finally caught him by the Balkans. She also told me what happened after her honeymoon when the Count was unusually understanding. She went to the island of Jamaica for a tan and came home with a black. His name was Osborne White, a piano teacher who taught La Contessa new skills, which she enjoyed very much. The Count found her new skills even more enjoyable. We decided Switzerland wasn't safe. The Count had too many friends there. We agreed to meet in Berlin. To avoid being seen together, La Contessa would fly there, and I would go by train. On the train, I shared a compartment with a 70-year-old German woman. She told me her name was Elsa Gudentite. I told her at her age, that's a very difficult name to live up to. She told me that her whole life had been difficult. Before the Führer met Eva Braun, Elsa was his mistress. When the Führer wanted sex, he was furious. Being a Gudentite, he couldn't enter her. He even brought in young boys from the Hitler Youth, but they couldn't enter her. I told her it sounded like she went through quite an ordeal. She told me she wasn't the only one. Her good friend, Greta Stuppgut, when she gave the Führer oral sex, her heavy breathing was annoying him. He ordered her to breathe through her ears. Elsa told me the trouble with the Führer was he had a corkscrew penis, and she, Elsa, was the only woman who had a corkscrew vagina. I said it should have worked out great. She told me the trouble was just her luck. She had a left-hand thread. Just then the train pulled into a tunnel. She suggested we make it the tunnel of love. I want you, she said. It was dark in the tunnel. I felt Elsa's hands on me. I said, Elsa, no. What you're doing is wrong. Elsa, no. No, no. Elsa, das is good. In Berlin, I walked in the lobby of the hotel. I was told I had an urgent phone call. It was La Contessa. She was calling from Mexico. She warned me the Count was staying at my hotel. It was too dangerous, and I should leave immediately and meet her in Mexico. She said if I left now, I'd be just in time for the Keopectate Festival. In Mexico, La Contessa told me she can't live with the Count any longer. She hated him. His mere presence made her sick. She told him to see a shrink. He said, absolutely not. It's small enough. She told me the Count was built very small. Many times he left it under a sunlamp for 24 hours, hoping it would grow. Being built so small was sometimes embarrassing. His family tradition was when a baby is born, the father hands out cigars the size of his penis. When Amanda was born, the Count handed out cigarettes. That evening, I was shocked to see Armando sitting there in the lobby depressed. He told me he was extremely disturbed. After participating in group sex, he didn't know who to thank. He also told me of another ill experience. He heard of a freak snowstorm in Australia. It was reported that Sydney had 10 inches. He flew there for nothing. In Australia, he did have an affair with a woman who taught him how to use his boomerang. He confided in me that he now has a case of VD that keeps coming back. He also had a disappointing experience in London when he found out that Big Ben was a clock. It reminds me of my experience in London when I met Lady Wentworth. I was working out at the gym and she kept staring at me. Her need for me was immediate. As I did my push-ups, she kept trying to crawl under me. 
We finally went to her place and spent a frantic hour together. She was very unique. After I left the room, she was still screaming, having multiple orgasms. When I got to the street, I could still hear her screaming. It was then that I realized why they warned us. The British are coming! The British are coming! Amando also told me he had broken up with his lover, Jose. He told me they were enjoying a golden shower when suddenly he got pissed off. They didn't speak for a good two hours. Then they gave each other a good tongue lashing and parted. That night I told La Contessa I can't live without her. I told her that no man is an island and wished her bon appetit as she engulfed my peninsula. Suddenly the door burst open. It was the Count and two of his henchmen. I tried to explain that La Contessa and I were just friends, but it was difficult standing there naked with an erection. He explained his family tradition. In a situation such as this, he must challenge me to a duel. La Contessa was at my side pleading for me. It was in vain. We had to choose weapons. The Count said that we should use swords. I wanted to use penises. We settled on guns. The next morning we met in the field at six o'clock. I was weak from not sleeping the whole night, thanks to La Contessa. This was it. We paced off ten steps, turned and shot at each other. I could see La Contessa praying for me. The Count missed, but I didn't. The Count fell slightly injured. La Contessa ran to him. She looked up at me and screamed, You beast! You animal! I walked away bewildered, but wiser. I learned that every man has his tale of woe. Unfortunately in life, there's more woe than tale.
kinds of people. But the other day in the gym, a guy kept looking at me and looking at me. And I said, look, if you keep staring at my dick, I'm gonna hit you with it. He said, promises, promises. I tell you, the best relationship is two bisexuals. They go out looking for girls, they don't find any, who cares? I'll tell you, you, talk to some guys, they'll have sex with anything, anything at all. You know how many times you hear guys say, yeah, I'm never a cup of coffee and fuck it. <laughs> the other night I was drinking, I ended up in a gay bar. They asked me for proof of sex. I showed them proof, they said it wasn't enough. <laughs> See, I'm not a sexy guy, you know. I was in one girl, I said, hey, honey, let's go for the whole nine yards. She's let's be accurate, we'll go for the whole inch and a half. <laughs> a lot of things don't make sense to me, you know? Like football, the two minute warning. What's the big deal? Every player knows you got two minutes to play. What's the big warning? To me, a two minute warning is like you're in bed with a chick. The husband calls for his car phone. He said, honey, I'll be home in two minutes. That's a two minute warning. When this Jewish guy is talking to this black guy, you know? The Jewish guy says, I don't know, my wife, her birthday, I just can't make it happen. I gave her a fur coat, she didn't like it. I gave her a new car, she don't like it. Tell me, how do you handle your wife on your wife's birthday? The black guy says, well, I give her two presents. I give her a pair of slippers and a dildo. And if she don't like the slippers, she can go fuck herself. <laughs>
My kids keep kicking the shit out of me. The trouble today is kids are sex. All they want is sex. And my daughter, she's like the rest of them, you know? My daughter. They call her Federal Express. And when she's in the guy's apartment, she absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. In fact, I was talking to my doctor, you know my doctor, Dr. Vinnie Boombox, so my doctor, he told me last week in his office they got six cases of VD. I mean, he's all right now. When I was a kid, it was different. My old man was tough. My old man allowed no drinking in the house. In fact, I had two brothers who died of thirst. I mean, I went through plenty, you kidding? When I was a kid, my parents got a dog, and I was jealous of the dog, so they got rid of me. My old man, my old man kept taking me to the zoo. I found out he was trying to make a trade. The time I asked my old man if I could go ice skating on a lake, he told me to wait till it gets warm. my old man gave me, you know? He told me never take candy from a stranger unless he offers you a ride. <laughs> my old man always gave me advice. He said, you learn to take care of yourself. Don't depend on other people. You should be independent, be on your own. Now get the fuck out of here. Her belly button has an echo. 
machine match her up with Detroit. <laughs>
time people get married, they got a sign in the car, just married, horns are blowing, bells are ringing. You make a mistake, you should keep it quiet. <laughs> anyway, this couple meet in a bar, you know? And he says to her, dear, such a lovely girl, how come you're alone? She says, well, I'll tell you the truth, I'm a very kinky person, I'm too kinky for most people, you know? And, uh, I mean, I'm with men, I'm just too kinky, that's why I'm alone. He says, really? He says, me too, I'm a kinky guy. He said, that's why I'm not with a girl, I'm too kinky for girls. He says, well, both are like two kinky people, let's get together. She says, great, let's go back to my place. Let's go back to her place. She says, excuse me, go to another room. She comes back two minutes later, we're all dressed in leather, with whips, with chains, with lights, with the whole thing, and he's walking out. She says, where are you going? He said, I'm shit in your pocketbook, I fucked your dog, and I'm going home. <laughs> Except the place you need it. <laughs> but I got no 
to my age if I squeeze into a parking place I'm sexually satisfied. <laughs> and I see a sexy girl I got a tongue on. Which brings up the old question, with sex, is the size of a man's dick important? The answer is no. In sex, the size of a man's dick has absolutely nothing to do with good sex. Ask any man with a small dick. <laughs> but you can do say, you can tell a guy with a small dick by his name. Can I tell you, a lot of guys are in bad shape, you know? Guys like Tiny Tim, you know? <laughs> Rich Little. Martin Short. Oh, Pee Wee Herman, he's in trouble. And how about Dick Van Dyke? You don't know what he is. How big is your dick? Don't you remember? Yeah. <laughs> 